What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the College Football Degenerates Podcast. As always, I'm here with your boy, Michael Ahern. What's going on, man? Uh, man, I'm doing great. Uh, we had ourselves another week of great college football. I mean, we are so spoiled right now. Uh, and, I mean, it's crazy, man. We are in such a great point in the sport. I mean, with all the craziness that was happening in the offseason, I felt like what didn't get talked about enough is how much talent is in college football right now. There's so much great talent, uh, so many good teams, uh, and even the teams that you think are bad, you can't sleep on them. I mean, you ask ask Louisville, uh, or you ask Colorado if a one-win team can beat you. I mean, man, it's special. Uh, so many great games. Yeah, um, Michael, you said you said before we were recording this that you were feeling some type of way, like you you had like some type of energy. Do you wanna do you wanna specify? Um, uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I have to talk about my boy Brock Bowers. I have to talk about him, and I know what you were talking about, but I want to bring this up first. Because I want to start with the negative, because I want to end the positive. But Brock Bowers, he's hurt out probably three to six weeks. I don't know if he's going to play again in the regular season. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play again in college. But, I mean, man, uh, he was special if he doesn't play. I think he could play. But unlike the University of Alabama and unlike the University of Ohio State, Georgia has 85 scholarship players and can replace somebody when someone gets hurt. Because if you ask an Alabama fan, you ask an Ohio State fan, if their star you know, receiver gets hurt, their star player gets hurt, I mean, you can't win a game, then it's impossible. I mean, it is genuinely impossible to win a game after your star player gets hurt. Um, and so now, uh, as... As we all expect, uh, Georgia will probably be, you know, Florida will probably be favored by a billion points against Georgia. And their Georgia's going to lose every game now because he can't win if your star players hurt. Uh, that's only a joke. Uh, Ohio State fans are absolutely seething right now at the thought of that. Um, but yeah, Brock Bowers hurt. Um, I think Georgia. It's gonna be a lot, uh, you know. It's gonna hurt them definitely uh, as a team, but I think we can bounce back, keep on moving forward. Um, but you just never like to see uh, injury happen to anyone, especially not to a star player that is so big to college football. But the other big thing is, I don't have a certain energy right now. Uh, you know, certain people in the off season when I was high on a certain Washington quarterback said, Michael, here you are crazy. You have no clue what you're saying. He had a fluke year last year. He's going to have a worse season, despite the fact that his receiving room got even better. Uh, they were saying, oh, he a fluke year. He's not going to be that good. Oh, but And then those people were even more upset when I said that I'm going to have – I had him finishing second in the Heisman voting, which, granted, I was wrong, man. I was wrong. He's not going to finish second. He's going to finish first. You know who I'm talking about. Big Penix energy. Michael Penix Jr., man. Uh, as a Michael Penix Jr. trooper, uh, 
It feels good after last week. It feels good. And I think we could potentially segue into our first big game, uh, the game that everyone watched, Oregon-Washington. Uh, Toby, what are your thoughts on this game, man? Thoughts? You know, everyone that has me on Snap, you know, will know. And Instagram as well. I should have been doing more work in Twitter, but I was so locked in. I wanted Washington to win this game more than anything. I just, oh my gosh, from Caleb DeBoer being a great coach, coach of the year candidate, to Michael Penix having a Heisman winning season, to this wide receiving court with Roma Dunsey and Jalen Polk. And that's that's not even it. This This wide receiving court is deep. This team is resilient. And... Funny enough, as much as I want to highlight Washington, I want to clarify my stance on something. Because we're going to have to talk about it. Michael, I'm going to be interested to hear your thoughts on it too. But a lot of people are probably like, was Oregon going for it on fourth down? And going for it on as many fourth downs as they did in that game, a smart move. And here's what I'll tell you. Number one. I would say a couple in the first half were questionable, but if Dan Lanning is anything, he is consistent because he did it in the second half too. It brought him back from an 11-point deficit. And most importantly, I 100% agree with what he did at the end of that game because, you know, it wasn't really Dan Lanning's fault they lost. You know, they went for that fourth and three, gave Washington the ball back because they didn't convert. Washington scored that touchdown quite fast, might I add. And then they had a ton of time left, took him down, and the kicker missed a kick. So I've heard a lot about what Dan Lanning's done. I don't think he should be blamed whatsoever. I actually think he did a pretty good job coaching, and he stayed consistent. And as as to consistent and resilient, this Washington team, I mean, getting out to an 11-point lead early in the second half, and then just staying mentally tough through everything in that second half where honestly it looked like they were going to lose. Oregon was not getting stopped and somehow Washington came up with a stop on that fourth and three. Just, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it later in the episode, but I don't even think a team like USC makes it within like borderline 14 points of this Washington team. You know, it's it was a great game to watch. It was a thriller. It lived up to the hype. Michael, let's hear your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, the first thing ha- we have to talk about is the uh, Dan Lanning's ascensions. Uh, I thought there was, you know, obviously there was two really big for- going for and fourth down moments. First one being uh, to end the half, and then the other one right before the uh, drive that Washington had to uh, give them the lead. And I think... Uh, the first one, I think the first one was a mistake. I think him not taking the field goal hurt them. I think he should have taken it at the end of the half. I think he definitely should. Uh, and I felt like that at the time, at the moment. And this is all how I felt at the moment. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, they didn't make a a statement. They didn't have a feeling they're going to, uh, if, if they went for and fourth down and they got it, 
uh, and they won the game. Oh, that was the greatest decision ever. Um, if they had a punted and they won the game, oh, that was a great decision. If they had a punted and Washington scored, they say, oh, how do you not go for it right then and there? You know, and he went for it. They ended up losing Causey, but uh, and so they're making, you know, they're saying all this stuff about Dan Lanning, and I understand criticizing the move. Uh, but I, I mean, I like it if I'm being honest. Uh, at the moment, I was saying, you know what? You go out and win it, and you look at how fast Washington scored. I don't think it would have mattered if they had punted. Uh, uh, Michael Penix and Roma Dunza were on another level on that last drive. Uh, and really, all it probably would have done was he punting it would have, like, you know, wasted 30 to 40 more seconds. You know, it was that fast uh, how they drove down the field. I mean, you know, they don't get the fourth down, and but you still got to go out there and play. And uh, they give up the big play to Roma Dunson. You know, what was it two plays later? They're in the end zone. So, I mean, I think that was worse than just, you know, giving up all those yards um, immediately after. But no, I mean, if you pick up the fourth down, the game's over then and there. Um, so, I mean, I don't hate the decision nearly as much as some people. And well, Oregon still had a chance to tie this game and send it to overtime. But, uh, you know, uh, you can't ever trust a college kicker. Um, they are inconsistent. Um, and I think that's what really cost them. Uh, Bo Nix, he had himself a game still 33 of 44, 337 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Bucky Irvin and Jordan James had great games. Bucky Irvin, 127 yards on 22 carries and a touchdown. Jordan James, 11 carries, 63 yards and a touchdown. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Tez Franklin, receiver for Oregon. I mean, eight receptions, 154 yards and a touchdown. So a lot of great players had good games for Oregon. But, I mean, I think what's getting lost for me for Washington, you see how great of a game Penix had. See, obviously, the game that Jalen Polk and Roma Dunza had. But I think the guy who went, you know, kind of unsung, I guess, would be uh, Dylan Johnson, the running back for Washington. I mean, he had 20 carries, 100 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, he had himself a great game. Uh, he was, a, you know, coming into this game, I mean, he had, like, a great game against Arizona. But outside of that, he wasn't anything extremely special. They go give him 20 carries. Uh, five yards of carry. I mean, he had himself a good day. Uh, I think that was a big part of Washington's success. And, you know, I don't want to say we're going to see this in a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game because of how tough this Pac-12 is, but I I'm really hoping for it. I'm really hoping we see a rematch of that these are two great teams. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's how I'm feeling about this game. Um, Washington Huskies. Kalen DeBoer, Michael Penix Jr., they get the dub. Uh, that was huge for them. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, outstanding game, especially being the game of the week. Just glad it lived up to the hype. It was as enjoyable to watch as it looked on paper. Um, a game that was not as enjoyable to watch, if you were a USC fan, is the next game we need to look at, which is USC versus Notre Dame. and. I'm just going to get my thoughts on it. Um, you know, weirdly enough, the game I can describe this most to is actually Colorado versus Oregon. But for slightly different reasons. Colorado versus Oregon, 
we didn't think they were a real team, and it got exploited, and we saw it. Whereas versus USC versus Notre Dame, we didn't think USC wasn't a real team. We just thought this defense was so bad that this team would not be able to just do anything. I mean, we, we thought they had a chance, but we were like, this team is just... I don't know how they're going to win a Pac-12 title with a defense this bad. And weirdly enough, as bad as this defense was, I don't even think it's even close. This is the worst game of football Caleb Williams has played in a college uniform. I mean, three interceptions and a fumble in the first half. And might I add, two of the interceptions were awful. And Notre Dame has a good defense. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from them, but... Goodness, man, for someone who they've been saying and I've been saying is the number one prospect in a long time, which again, he's still the number one prospect, just highly disappointing game, not really where I thought they'd get the loss on the schedule with how stagnant this Notre Dame offense has been, but the ground and pound play action defensive style of football that Notre Dame played is just a blueprint that Pac-12 teams can use and like... Now you look down the line and look at teams like Oregon State and Utah. Could a USC beat a team like that? And they might even have a better chance versus a team like Washington, as good as they're playing, just more of a shootout. Um, I mean, it was shocking to say the least. You know, I don't know. I just, I didn't expect them to lose like that, especially get blown out. Um. Yeah, it was wild, Michael. Um, what did you feel about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, this uh, game showed the two kind of big problems with USC. Uh, the first one is the fact that um, their defense is atrocious. Uh, it is horrible. Um, they, you know, it was bad. Um, again, nobody is in position. Uh, they can't make a tackle. I mean, it's horrible. And the fact that, you know, it continues to happen under Lincoln Riley uh, really makes me question him. And the fact that he just doesn't care about defense uh, is really bad. I mean, I, I knew that going into the season. Uh, I, you know, I predicted USC to uh, make the college football playoffs. But I was very hesitant on the fact that their defense was bad, but Lincoln Riley had always had bad defenses. But I, you know, and I knew how tough the Pac-12 was coming into this season. Uh, but man, I mean, it's better than what we thought it was going to be. USC is going to have themselves a time with the rest of the schedule because um, they rely so much on their offense and so much on Caleb Williams. And the other big thing was. Uh, their offensive line, who's like pretty, they, they have a decent offensive line, but again, like everything in this USC team, they're very soft because of Lincoln Riley. Uh, and you saw that against the Notre Dame team that kind of just pushed them around. Uh, they were constantly getting pressures on Caleb Williams. It felt like every play Caleb Williams had one of the two uh, Notre Dame defenders right in his face. And that's the only really big problem with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams holds onto the ball way too long, and he forces stuff. Now, he gets away with it a lot of times, um, 
But when you see a lot of Caleb Williams highlights, that's him either running around and making a crazy play, or he's sitting in a pocket with 10 seconds of, um, you know, uh, time to throw. And he didn't have the time to throw here, and he was forced, and he made bad plays. You know, three interceptions and fumbles and all that stuff. Um, and, I mean, Caleb Williams is still an extremely good talent, obviously. He had himself a bad game. Everyone has a bad game once in a while. But, uh, man, it, it came at a really bad time. It came at a really bad time. I mean, you think about it, if he had a bad game against, say, I don't know, Stanford, then it's like, you know, well, maybe not Stanford, but you know what I mean, a, a team of that level, then it's like, okay, but you have a game against Notre Dame, a bad game against a team like Notre Dame is big of it. Not good, man. And, and that's the only thing that's prosper. I mean, he just holds onto the ball way too long and he forces stuff. And, you know, over the offseason, I said that I thought the gap between Caleb Williams and Drake May was closer than a lot of people thought it was. And I still feel that way because of this fact. But all, outside of that, uh, Notre Dame, they had himself a game. Sam Hartman, I mean, he wasn't going crazy, 13 of 20, 126 yards, two touchdowns, but he went out there and did what he needed to do. And, I mean, that's all you can really ask. I mean, Audric Estime, he had himself a game, 95 yards and two touchdowns. They put a lot of the workload on him. Uh, and it also helps when um, when you when all these drives are happening so close to your um, – your end zone. I mean, you look at some of their their touchdown plays, uh, you know, or their scoring drives. Uh, three plays, twelve yards uh, for a touchdown. A field goal, eight plays, forty six yards. Uh, a touchdown, one uh, one play, two yards. Five plays, fifty yards. I mean, so when you're starting in your own field position, when you're starting on your, your own side of the field, uh, you know, every drive, it's going to be hard to uh, beat that team if that's happening. And that's what happened for Notre Dame. They forced a lot of turnovers. That was kind of the big thing of this week. Uh, turnovers, and USC got destroyed by them. Uh, Notre Dame keeps on going. I didn't like the spot for USC at all. Uh, this was a must-win game for Notre Dame, and they showed out big time. Uh, USC, uh, I mean, I think they can bounce back, but, man, I have a lot of questions about them. Uh, you know, you look at their schedule, and, you think, man, can they beat Washington? Can they beat Oregon? Can they beat Utah? I mean, can they beat UCLA? I mean, UCLA is a very physical defense, too. So it uh, really makes you wonder uh, about the team. So, yeah. Yeah. The USC. Um, I couldn't agree more. I just – I didn't think Caleb Williams was playing against the physical style of defense would be an issue of mine. But, you know, it may be in the coming weeks. Um. Talking about a team that's not facing many issues right now, UNC, man. And, Michael, quick quick thoughts on this before we get into the game. I feel like UNC is, like, the most under-the-radar top 10 6-0 team in the last couple of years. Like, no one's talking about UNC. Like, literally no one's talking about it. I feel like they're just coasting through right now, playing insane football. Drake Mays playing borderline some of the best football of his entire career i mean i don't know do you think they're flying under the radar or is that just me oh well they're definitely flying under the radar and i think i mean 
I think a lot of the uh, the public figured out a little bit more about North Carolina after this game. Um, but, I mean, not nearly as many as probably should because of the USC-Notre Dame game happening at the same time and all the great games that were happening then. But uh, I feel like a lot of the public doesn't know what this North Carolina team is. And we're going to talk about another team later that it seems a lot of people just don't realize what the team is. But North Carolina is not the team of last year. Uh, where everything is on Drake May and everything is on Josh Downs to go out there and make dip plays. Josh Downs in the NFL now. But, uh, no, I mean, that's not what this North Carolina team is. I mean, North- Drake May had himself a game, obviously, against Miami. You look at it, 17 of 33, 273 yards and four touchdowns. He's been playing great, especially these last two weeks, some of his best ball. But that's not what this North Carolina team is. This North Carolina team runs the ball a lot. Uh, Marion Hampton, again, you look at this game against a Miami defense that I believe was like in the top five. I mean, they were a really good rushing defense. Uh, and Marion Hampton uh, just blew it out the water. I mean, you look at he's 24 carries. An insane year. Like, he's having 197. Like, yeah. The best running back. I, I, I'm not trying to interrupt you. He's just. Oh, no, yeah. What he did versus App. Again, Appalachian State isn't insane, but, bro, and if you look, he has eight touchdowns already this year. And he's putting. Yeah, and he's like, a. Yeah, it's almost 658 yards on the season, almost six yards a carry. I mean, one of the best running backs in the nation right now. I mean, he is going off. Um, yeah, if you didn't know about this North Carolina team, uh, one, they run the ball really well, and two, they play defense. Uh, you know, they have a quite good defense. I mean, they're not one of the best defenses, but man, I mean, um, you know, this game they forced two, uh, they forced um, two fumbles and two interceptions. I mean, they are playing good. Uh, a lot of people gave, oh, what's his name, Gene Chizik, a lot of, um, a lot of heat for how bad he was as a coordinator. I was one of them. I said they should have fired him, um, and he got in the lab and he. Uh, you know, he's now got them playing good on defense. And, yeah, I mean, so a lot of the public just doesn't know what North Carolina is. They're not the team that uh, throws it 50 times a game for, like, 500 yards. I mean, Drake may still slinging it. He's still a great quarterback, obviously, but they run the ball and they play defense. And that's the big thing about this North Carolina team. Yeah, um... I'm glad you didn't say the main thing I wanted to say, which is the NCAA almost robbed us of, after watching this game, in a stacked wide receiver class, maybe a top borderline five wide receiver in the country, Devontae Walker is insane. Let me just read you the stat line. First game starting, okay? Six receptions. 132 yards and three touchdowns. Getting trust like that from a guy like Drake May, which again, I'm sure they've been building stuff in practice. But, I mean, oh my gosh. And you pair that with a guy who's had a quiet, who had a quiet game, who's had a great year, Nate McCollum. I mean, this wide receiving core, this defense, this these rushing yards. And again, we don't, we don't have anything to really say about Florida State. This week, you know, I don't, and I don't want to take an un, an unwarranted shot at them, but 
I've watched both these teams play every game they've played this season, and I'm ready to now make this statement. Michael, I think UNC should be the favorite to win the ACC, and I think they're going to win the ACC. I'm saying that right now. I've watched both these teams. The consistency is there, and obviously if I have to trust one quarterback to get me a win, game on the line, I'm taking Drake May over Jordan Travis, which again is not a shot to Jordan Travis. Great quarterback, but Drake May is arguably the best quarterback in college football. And it's just not being talked about enough. The questions that this defense had going into the year versus where they are now. I mean, it's insane. Um, yeah, this um, Mac Brown could get his ACC title this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I wouldn't say they're the favorite per se. No, no, I, I mean, my favorite. I, I oh, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I would love to see them win it because I do uh, really like North Carolina. Uh, you know, obviously, George's my team. JMU's the school that I go to. But, you know, I have a lot of family that pulls from North Carolina, born in North Carolina. So, I mean, I'd love to see uh, North Carolina do real good. I don't know if they're at that level yet. They can still get better in some places. The big one has to be the uh, penalties. Uh, they had a lot of penalties in this game, 14 penalties for 147 yards. But outside of that, I mean, this North Carolina team is legit. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, them against uh, Florida State, I mean, it's going to be uh, it's going to be real. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be crazy. It would be a great ACC championship game. And talking about the ACC, probably the last thing I think we both thought we'd be talking about this week. What in the world happened to Louisville? You're talking about a team that, I mean, outperformed Notre Dame from the start of the game to the last part of the game last week. And you lose? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Get blown out by Pitt? Michael, what happened? I mean, what happened? Uh, I'm still kind of asking myself that. I mean, that was... That was horrible. I mean, Jack Plummer, I mean, and 29 to 52, 350 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, you look at the stats. I mean, three turnovers to none. That's the big thing that stands out. But you look at the yards. Uh, Louisville had outgained Pitt by a lot, 430 to 288. I mean, Time of possession favors Louisville. Uh, first downs, Louisville. Uh, third down, Louisville. I mean, so all this stuff for Louisville, and they they lose by a lot. I mean, I guess, you know, there was just a lot of drives where they had they gained yards and nothing. I mean, I think what's got to be the big thing is the fact that Jawan Jordan, Jawan Jordan, who came, who was in this game, uh, was the leading rusher in the ACC. Uh, has 661 yards on the season. Still more than Amarion Hampton, who we talked about having an amazing season. Jawan Jordan, huge part of this Louisville team. Two carries for eight yards. Uh, that is, uh, you know, a recipe for failure. And I don't know. I mean, I think this Louisville team really just got... Um, 
they got caught up on themselves. They, you know, they forgot the fact. And we'll see other team. We'll talk about another team that this happened to. Um, they forgot that football is two halves. You can't win. They won the first half. They won the first half, twenty-one to fourteen. They didn't score anything for the rest of the game. You have to play two halves of football. And what did they do? They didn't. They let a one-win pit team go in and beat them. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they let uh, everyone saying how good they were and how great that win against Notre Dame was You know, get to their head. I mean, it felt like a real letdown spot, but I just didn't think that it was nearly – good enough as a team to beat them and I didn't think Louisville was the team that would lose to them and boom there you go so I don't know what to make of it Uh, I mean who knows Uh, Louisville first loss of the season but yeah yeah Uh, Um, yeah, it was bad I mean just quick thoughts on it as simple as it is as sad as it sounds I think we can both agree the only explanation is the moment was just too big for Louisville it definitely wasn't yeah. about talent. I mean, this team is way more talented than Pitt. It's had an awful year. I mean, they're 10th in the ACC after that win. Louisville had everything they needed. Couldn't put two halves of football together. And it's just sad, man. It was starting to look like a Cinderella year for Louisville, but... No, we were talking about them being the next TCU. I know. You just... Not with a loss like that, man. Um, Before we transition into one of the wildest games of also the we got it hold on before i don't know if this is what you're going to say but the fact that we got college football games on the cw network on the wall man oh i know yeah that was absolutely awful but um right before we talk about um one of our last um game recaps in colorado and stanford i just want to highlight that perhaps the most big 10 game was played this week and of course i'm talking about iowa wisconsin there's nothing to really talk about this game but just the fact that it was 15 to 6 and it was like i mean iowa had 37 yards passing 37 yards passing and they won i mean this was just absolutely disgusting game the 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 big 10 is three good teams let's just be honest i just wanted to point that out i was just like that's oh yeah i mean it was funny i saw like like they had like a stat where like uh, I don't, I don't remember. It was I can't remember if I remember what it was, but yeah, that was a very interesting game for Iowa. Uh huh. They uh, managed to win all these bad games. I mean, they had a an 82 yard run touchdown, uh, some field goals and a safety, and that was the game. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, Brian Ferentz is uh, a long ways away from his uh, number that he had to get to. I forgot what it was, but he had to average 24 points per game uh, on the season. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, not good for Iowa, 15-6. and six. But the fact is they keep on winning games. They're 6-1. and one. And I saw that, I mean, you look at the rest of the games, Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska, those are all really winnable games. I mean, uh, an 11-win Iowa team, like, has a real chance of winning. And 
everyone would be like, this team's not good, and they're not that good, but at least on the offensive end. But man, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I get you love it, man. Yeah, I no, it was. Man. It was sad, Something but talking about something even more sad or happy, depending on which side of the Colorado bandwagon you're on. I mean, you look you look at this Colorado-Stanford game, and you look at this first half, and you think, you know, Dion has a team that in the future, they get this O-line fixed. I mean, they're ready. 29 to nothing. Everything is going great. I mean, everything is going great. And then the second half happens versus Stanford. It happens versus Stanford. And I want to read something off that not only do I not think I believe, but it is borderline the craziest stat I have ever and maybe will ever read on this on this podcast. I want to talk to you, for those who don't know, about a guy named Alec A.O. Manor. I don't know if I butchered his name, but I hope not because he definitely deserves to be respected. He finishes the first half with zero receptions, zero yards, and zero touchdowns. And he goes out in the second half, catches 13 passes for 294 yards, three touchdowns against arguably the best player in the country in Travis Hunter. All-around player. Say what you want. It's a debate, yes, but arguably the best player in the country. On a Stanford team with below average quarterback play. And Stanford comes back and wins 46 to 43. And I mean, one of the worst losses I've ever seen. One of the worst losses I've ever seen by a Colorado team. With, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone was watching this game. There was no reason this should have happened. I mean, Michael, first off, did you watch it? If so, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there wasn't else. There wasn't really anything else on. I mean, and you see um, the game getting out. Of, like, you know, you see it big. And then, what? oh, uh, what's that now? Stanford, uh, you know, they were down 29 nothing. Oh, wait, they just scored a touchdown. Uh, okay, whatever. Uh, they just got a 97-yard touchdown on one play. Okay, now now I need to start tuning in, okay? Uh, Colorado punts, all right. Oh, what's that? Stanford got another, uh, touchdown. Two plays, 60 yards, 21 seconds. Okay, um, it's a 10-point game. Uh... Colorado turnover on downs. What's next? Stanford gets a touchdown. Uh, 26-29 now. Uh, this is wild. This is weird. Uh, Colorado. Okay, they go. They score another touchdown. Um, you know, put it out of reach. Now it's, uh, you know, 36. Back to being a 10-point game. Oh, what does Stanford do? They go on a 13-play, 80-yard, six-and-a-half or six-minute long drive, and they get the touchdown. Boom. Colorado punts, and they're able to go and put up a field goal, and they send the game to overtime. Uh, man, and then back and forth, back and forth, and then that Shador Sanders interception. I mean, Shador Sanders is not the one to blame for this game. I mean, he had a good game, 33-47, 400 yards, five touchdowns, and only one interception, that one interception being 
uh, that one in overtime. But man, that was a bad one. There was no need to force that. You know, what was it? It was third down. You just throw the ball away. You take your field goal, uh, and you hope your defense can make some stops and not give up a touchdown of your own. But throw a pass like that, it gets picked off. You now have no chance of winning that. Stanford hits the field goal. Uh, one of the worst losses, uh, yeah, I've in recent history, man, uh, it was the biggest blown lead in Colorado history. Uh, the biggest comeback in Stanford history. And Stanford has a, a pretty storied football history. They're not the greatest team now, but uh, you know they have history. So, yeah, uh, Ashton Daniels, I mean, Coming into this game, he wasn't anything special, but, man, he showed out big time. 27-45, 396 yards and four touchdowns. You could say, well, he was just feeding, uh, he was just throwing at the one guy, Alec Amor. Um, You know, 13 reception, 294 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, that's what a good quarterback should do. You don't, you don't have to uh, throw it all over the place. I mean, if something's working, something's getting success, and Colorado can't do anything about it, because you look at their corners, and Travis Hunter, who is a, a great player, but when he goes out there and has 13 receptions, 140 yards, and two touchdowns, and he's coming off a, you know, what was it, a lacerated liver or whatever it was? You know, I, I don't want to, whatever injury he had, uh, you know, well, the point is it was a real bad one. And, you know, there was, you know, questions on if he was going to play or not. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's 100% back. And, if he is, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, 13 receptions. Uh, he had a lot of targets as well. So, you know, he had himself a great game offensively, but defensively he was kind of getting worked. I don't want to say, I mean, this is not his best showing. Yeah, he'll have a bunch better games on the defensive end, obviously. But uh, you have that, and you look at the other uh, – who was the other corner for uh, – I can't remember what his name now was. Uh, was it number twenty three? I mean, he was getting uh, was uh, remember, but uh, he was getting upset with the uh, the the coaching staff. Um, you know, they were getting upset at him for giving up all them yards. And man, I mean, he had him a Elik Amor had himself a game. Uh, he kept him kind of beating uh Travis Hunter. With the same kind of little movement, mm -mm, go inside, uh, and kind of just big body whoever was in his way. And man, some some bad tackling for Colorado. They kind of just you know they let off the gas way too much. And you know I don't blame them for not thinking that Stanford could come back, but you know that's the thing. That's what I was talking about. You know, every team has somebody that can just go out there and have a game. And for Stanford this game, it was Alec Amor and it was Ashton Daniels. They had themselves they had themselves some great games. Stanford, one of the biggest upsets, has to be. I mean, all, all the Colorado fans they done left at halftime. Uh that that crowd, uh the stadium was empty. Uh if you go back and look at that, I mean it was crazy. Uh horrible loss. Uh inexcusable, but yeah. And that's what college felt. I mean, uh, Dion was complaining about no one, uh, nobody was going to be watching this, uh, the late night kickoffs and the on, especially on a Friday night. Well, hey, <laughs> uh, everybody was watching then. So, yeah, um, it's true. 
And um, there were a couple more games we were going to look at, but lucky enough for you, Michael, I have them tied in to our next segment. And before we get into that segment, which is overreaction or just about right, me and Michael this week, there was so much to get into this week, and there's so much we still want to talk about. We're going to split this up into two, I wouldn't say mini episodes, they're still going to be about 45 minutes apiece, but um, two episodes. So we're going to wrap this one up with overreaction or just about right, and then um. A little later in the week, closer to Thursday or Friday, we'll release the other one, which will release our top 25s and some previews for week eight, which, might I add, is getting into rivalry weeks. And uh, let's just say Penn State versus Ohio State is going to be talked about a lot in that episode. But moving I mean, on yeah, to we over got, we got We got so many great games coming up, man. It's, oh, it's, oh, it's going to be, I mean, Duke, Florida State. I mean, it's going to be crazy, hopefully. Riley Leonard's feeling good, but all right. So make sure you listen to the other podcast episode coming out later. This one. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Michael actually said we convinced him. When I was talking to him, I was like, hey, you know, we can probably do a second podcast episode under one condition. He was like, what is it? I was like, you can't talk about Georgia the whole first episode besides Brock Bowers. And that's where we're at. So it's kind of a treat for you all. That we don't have to hear that oh, until next <laughs> No, but um Michael, I kinda got I kinda got a spicy one for you. Right? Okay. And the question is, I wanna see I wanna see how I wanna phrase this. Um hold on. Yes, I look. Yes, alright. Missouri is or is not the toughest game left on Georgia's schedule. Overreaction or just about right? Uh, you know, I can fully understand why one person would think that is the toughest game on their schedule. And, you know, for all the talks about how easy their schedule is, uh, the game that, to me, however, is the toughest is not Tennessee. Uh, they're playing uh, at Neyland Stadium. is always tough. Uh, it's got to be Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss is a great team. Uh, they've been playing well. Jackson Dart has uh, been quite nice. Uh, Quid Sean Junkins, I mean, he's good too. So, I mean, uh, well, you don't need me to tell you he's good. I mean, he, uh, you know, he's dealt with some injury in, and earlier in the season maybe wasn't nearly the production as he was last year. But, I mean, that was hard to do. Last year, he had one of the best running back seasons uh, in the country. And, yeah, I mean, Ole Miss is still going to be a real tough game. But, I mean, you know, you look at the spot from Missouri, and it is going to be tough. Um, but it's, um, you know, going to be played in Athens this year. Uh, I think this is a Georgia team, especially after last year, you know, the struggle win. I think this is a, a game that Georgia is going to look to um, – Get some revenge, but uh, I would say it's a slight overreaction to say it's the toughest game, but uh, it's not going to be an easy game. Yeah, um, the fair point. I don't want to give my thoughts on it because it's your turn to answer this week. But man, this Missouri team's good this year. I mean, and they are LSU. Oh, it's just going to be exciting again. Georgia fan, I know it was a scare last year, but. A two and two unconfident Missouri team last year almost beat Georgia. Just think of what a borderline seven. Okay, and one well, Missouri I will team. say one thing: that two and two, sure, 
unconfident is not something you can say about them. They were very confident about themselves. So you, I remember, you know, you, you hear in the pregame, and, you know, coaches and players, they say stuff, but, uh, you know, when you got the, the announcer saying, yeah, they, they are actually confident. Um, uh, they think they can actually win this game, you know it. You know? Yeah. People don't say stuff just to say stuff sometimes. No. But, uh, so, yeah, uh, what's the next one? Um, next one, I think this should be quick. We've already asked it once, but I think this will probably be the final time asking it. Overreaction or just about right. Jimbo Fisher's time with Texas A&M is um, it's ending, and it could be done in the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, it's the thing that I was pointing out last week. Uh, you know, should um jimbo fisher be fired yeah he definitely should be uh he has done enough to get himself fired however do i think he will be i don't know uh that's a lot it's a lot of money um and you know i know Texas saying has a lot of money but i don't know if they're going to spend it on him i i don't that's it's a ridiculous amount and again that's what i was saying last week if you're a texas a&m fan and you think about, man, we need to fire Jimbo Fisher. Go look up his contract buyout. And, I mean, you're going to be a little depressed, but, you know, that's just what it is. Uh, you know, I, in any other situation, Jimbo would be fired. He'd been fired last year. Uh, but, no, that contract uh, is too much for me, personally. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets fired. He should. He's done enough. That's just, to me, seems like a lot. But if they have the money, then uh, go ahead. No, that's um, that's fair. Moving on to the next question. Overreaction or just about right? USC's playoff hopes are gone. Uh, I think that's just about right. I don't think USC, frankly, um, can go the rest of the way without a loss. I mean... If I don't think there's a chance, if I don't think that Oregon or Washington has a high chance of making it through this conference schedule unscathed, then what would suggest that I think USC could with, the, with how terrible that defense is? I mean, for like Wisconsin, I mean, excuse me, I know Wisconsin. Uh, Washington's defense isn't good, but uh, they made some plays. They made some timely plays. Uh, and uh, USC's defense, uh, they didn't come close to make any timely plays, uh, not even once this season. Uh, it's just been as the offense kept them in. I, I don't think the offense is going to have a good enough game, like games consistently, and that's the thing, consistently to win, win out the rest of the schedule. And that's what they need to do. So, no, I don't think, uh, I don't think. USC really has a chance of making the college football playoffs. And it sucks to, for me to say this because I had them there. Uh, but, yeah. All right. Um, this is kind of a weird one, but just after watching both teams play this week and how they won, um, overreaction or just about right, Alabama beats Tennessee this week by two-plus touchdowns. Um. I think that's a little bit overreaction. I think two touchdowns um, is kind of a lot for me. 
However, uh, what's the line at right now? Uh, is that nine and a half? So, I mean, it's definitely possible. I mean, a big bounce game for Alabama, but uh, I don't think it's by two touchdowns. I think it'll be by two scores. I think they'll. I think Alabama probably wins and covers by 10. That's what I'm feeling now. I might feel different later in the week, but I don't think Alabama beats them by two touchdowns. But I think it'll be – yeah, I think Alabama wins them. So no, that's fair. This is, like, one of those games that, like – very few of them, but I almost bet on an Alabama defensive touchdown this week. I mean, Joe Milton, we were talking about it earlier today. Joe Milton is just awful. I mean, his decision-making, his overthrowing, I mean, he has not really looked great in any particular game this season. Even you look at the first game of the season, like UVA. I mean, didn't even. I mean, it's just yeah. it's sad, man. This Tennessee team actually has a pretty good defense and a great running game. Yeah, that's the thing that I was talking about earlier in the the North Carolina game, I was said there's North Carolina team. There's like there's another team we might talk about uh, that people don't the public doesn't seem to realize who they are. And the other one's Tennessee. And Tennessee is not a team that will throw it down the field a million times. That's not what Joe Milton is. He's not nearly the quarterback that uh Hendon Hooker was and I was never someone who fully bought in. I said, hey, he's got a great arm talent, so maybe it's possible, but uh, you know, I think what I said was hundred percent true. Uh and I've said this for a while. Hendon Hooker, I mean not Joe Milton has an elite arm, but I mean I don't think he could hit the broad side of a barn if you I uh, really wanted him to. I mean you could put Joe Milton out in the middle of the ocean say hey throw this ball into the water and he managed to put it on land so uh, I don't know how yeah but this Tennessee team their defense is great especially um, uh, pass rushing wise on, on the interior there it was horrible last year but they went out there they made some big uh, transfer I uh, got some big transfer pieces they um, found the way to get better on that and rushing attack is their big thing uh this season they're they're a really good running team and i think i saw some uh this is uh, yeah um the first time uh i don't remember what it was but uh something about like the yards uh, i should probably have, uh what was it? It was something like first time Josh Heupel won a game without like it was like three hundred passing yards or something. I don't remember. Here I'll look it up. But uh, yeah, I don't remember what it was. But yeah, this was such a uh, different game, even from the Tennessee that we'd seen this year. I mean. You expect them to get more than 100 passing yards, uh, but they did not. Uh, but, yeah, this Tennessee team, very odd, to say the least. A lot of rushing, though, and good defense, but Joe Millen, not good at all. Yeah, um, I 100% agree. And last question to wrap up the segment and um, this part of our two-part show. Um, and it's a spicy one. Overreaction or just about right? With all the chaos that's ensued in the Pac-12, with the carousel we've been on, with teams like Washington State dropping games to Arizona, getting blown out, teams looking good one week and not the next, 
overreaction are just about right. No Pac-12 team makes the playoff this year. Um, very spicy question. Very interesting. That's a very spicy question. Because if you uh, look, Washington's the only team that has no loss. And I don't think they're going to come out unscathed. So. Yeah. Um. I think, you know, I think they're going to be there. I think when you look at it, uh, if I, you know, I think they probably get a loss somewhere in here. If I had to call that loss, I think it's going to be, uh, I'm going to say the Oregon State game is the game that they lose. Uh, However... Um, you know, obviously, uh, USC, uh, coming on the road, uh, always tough. And, um, you know, uh, Cam Rising, I've given up all hope that he ever comes back this season. Uh, you know, there's now reports that him and what's his name, Brandon uh, Kuthi who was their tight end, I believe. Yeah, uh, who he has also not played. He was their big tight end coming into the season uh, that they were very interested in getting back. And uh, both of them have, uh, there's some talks that they might be applying for a medical redshirt. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, so I've given up all hope of, the, uh, of Cam Rice coming back for Utah. But um, I don't know. It'd be tough. I think Washington definitely has the best chance. I still wouldn't uh, count Oregon out. But, yeah, it feels tough for me to see a Pac-12 team making it in there. Uh, I mean, you could argue that a a two-loss Washington team or two-loss Oregon team, let's say Oregon loses somewhere in the regular season, but they win the Pac-12, I mean, you could argue whoever wins this back 12, even if they have two losses, deserves to be in there. And you wouldn't be wrong, but just how the committee does it, uh, two losses and you're out. And so, yeah, I don't know if we will see a Pac-12 champion. I don't think it's an overreaction to say. Uh, I hope there is a Pac-12 team in the college football playoff. Um, you know, if Georgia doesn't win the national championship, I hope it's Washington that wins it. So, uh, yeah, um, that's how I'm feeling. Uh, I don't think it's an overreaction to say that no Pac-12 team makes the college football playoffs. That's um, that's fair. Yeah, that's gonna be really interesting. Um, but yeah, that's gonna um wrap up this episode. A little bit shorter of an episode just because we got the second half coming out later this week. And, um, yeah, as always, Michael was a blast. Saw the viewers. Thank you for listening. And, um, yeah, Michael, any final thoughts? Uh, no, just the normal. Again, make sure you follow the socials. Um, make sure you rate the podcast well. Uh, make sure you share it with your friends, family. Again, that you don't have to, obviously. Uh, this is just... Uh, me asking for a little bit of a favor, but uh, it really does mean uh, the world if y'all can do that. Uh, again, we love doing this. Uh, we hope y'all love the podcast. Uh, again, 
there will be another episode this week where it's the top 25 out, and we'll do some previews over some games, maybe some uh, gambling plays that we like. Uh, So, yeah, uh, again, thank you for listening, and uh, good night.